beginning at verse 4 of chapter 1. The word of our Lord from the book of Acts says, Being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, Devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya conjoining with Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue, the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, however, mocked, saying they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Let's pray. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people, by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. God is a God who often makes promises. He is a God who is in the business of making promises. Even in the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell into sin... God very quickly made them a promise that one would come who would crush the head of the one who led them into temptation. 
All throughout the Scriptures, you have God making promises to His people. And God is one who is always faithful to fulfill His promises. There are a couple of things that we could say about promises that are of extreme importance to us. Is that number one, they are always best when they are kept. No one likes to have promises made that aren't then fulfilled. Promises are always best when they're kept. When we can count on the word of the one who makes the promise. And all throughout Scripture, again, we have God who is always faithful to keep and to fulfill those promises that He makes. The second thing that's quite obvious about promises, but we often forget about them, is that you always have to wait for them to be fulfilled. Otherwise, there's no point in a promise, right? Promises by their very nature mean not now, but then. In the promises of a ceremony of marriage, you're promising something that is to come in the unfolding of a life lived together. In the promise of a, of a dad to take his kid to the movie when it comes out, written into that promise is the fact that there has to be a time of waiting until that movie comes out. In the promise of a, a boyfriend to a girlfriend that, honey, we're going to go out as soon as I get paid. You might be waiting till this Friday or you might be waiting till the Friday after, but you're waiting some period of time because the nature of promises is that there has to be a time of waiting for them to be fulfilled. Otherwise, why make the promise? Just make it happen now. Again, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. And he told them, just wait. Just a little more time. Now when he tells them this, it's already been 40 days since Easter Sunday. 40 days since he rose from the dead. 40 days since he's been telling them, I'm going away from you, but just wait. Because I'll pray to the Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit, another comforter, to live with you and in you. And in his coming to you, he will bring my presence and the presence of my Father with him. And 40 days have passed. And he says, now's the time when I ascend back to my father and there's still a little bit of time to wait. Pentecost. The 50th day. 40 days till the ascension and then 10 days tacked on thereafter. Pentecost is not a new festival for the church. In fact, those Jews who were gathered together 
were in Jerusalem because this was a time of Passover, which was followed by that that 49-day festival called the Festival of Weeks. It, It bore many names in the Old Testament. The Festival of Weeks, Festival of Reaping, the Festival or Feast of First Fruits. In Jewish tradition, they would typically read through the book of Ruth from the Old Testament as they went through this period of festivities. Because Ruth was was based on the grain, the grain harvest, and Ruth coming back to Jerusalem, back to her, back to uh, the, the people of her mother-in-law. And you have her reaping from the fields. Pentecost was a time to celebrate what God has done in providing for His people. A period of time that followed God's deliverance of His people remembered in the Passover. Terry. In Jerusalem. Wait. Wait just a little bit longer. Why does all of this matter? Why does it matter? That Jesus told his disciples to wait. Why does it matter? That after the resurrection of Jesus. He had his people. Waiting another 50 days. For something to come to pass. The writer of the book of Hebrews. Says it matters an awful lot. He said that it matters because God had something in store for His people that was beyond that which was experienced in the Old Testament. Beyond that which was experienced by His faithful servants, saints of old, folks like Abraham and Moses and Elijah. Folks like Isaiah and Jeremiah. That God had something in store for His people that was beyond what they even experienced. That He would not just live with them, but that He would live in them. That He would take up residence in their hearts. It matters because God intended for His Holy Spirit to come to live in His people. Not just to influence them, but to shape them and transform them. To ask why does all this matter is essentially to ask, well, what does the Holy Spirit bring into my life that otherwise isn't there? And the Scriptures tell us that He brings an awful lot into our lives that otherwise are not there. He brings, first of all, a new life. Theologically, we speak of 
regeneration, life being restored. The Scriptures tell us of a new birth, and they promise the hope of new creation. In fact, Paul connects those ideas of new birth and new creation when he says that to be in Christ is to experience that new creation. Here and now, in this body, in this flesh, we're given new life through His Spirit. You remember in the book of Genesis that when God was creating all things, it was the Spirit of God that was hovering over the face of the deep. That Spirit or that wind or breath of God was breathed into man and He became a living being. There are a number of images that portray the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New. And one of those images is that of wind or breath. In fact, the the Hebrew word ruach means spirit, wind, or breath. And the, the Greek equivalent is pneuma. Where we get the word pneumonia. Has to do with the breathing, the lungs. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus alludes to the fact that there is a new life that is coming for His people. But they must wait. Because Jesus had not yet been glorified, the Gospel writer tells us. Jesus and His apostles were telling His people, wait for it. Wait. New life is coming. A fresh start. A clean slate. The beginning of something new. The old passing away and all things becoming new. I remember Dr. Oswald asking the question in a sermon. He said, be careful not to answer out loud. He said, why did Jesus die on the cross? And he said, don't, 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 don't answer out loud. And he went through the the typical reasons of why Jesus, why people think Jesus died on the cross. To get me to heaven, to, to, to offer me forgiveness and that sort of thing. And he said, biblically speaking, Jesus died on the cross so that He could put His Spirit into your heart and transform your life. The cross is so that Pentecost can happen. So that Jesus could redeem humanity and take humanity that has been redeemed into the throne room of God and send His Spirit to bring that redemption to bear fruit in our lives and bring new life. The festival of Pentecost in the Old Testament When you read through Exodus and Deuteronomy and you read about the institution of of Pentecost, the feast of of weeks and reaping and first fruits, 
It's connected to a very, very interesting concept. God tells his people that you are to keep this festival of first fruits. This festival where you celebrate the harvest and how God has bountifully provided for you. That you're to celebrate that because you were slaves in Egypt. I scratch my head and I think, wait a minute, I thought that's what Passover was about. You were slaves in Egypt and God has passed you over and brought you out and redeemed you. Why is he connecting the why is he connecting slavery in Egypt to how God has bountifully provided for his people in harvest? And I think the point that is being made is that God has not only delivered you, he has gone way beyond that and he has blessed you beyond measure. Jesus died not just so that you would be forgiven, but so that you could be transformed. So that He could bless your life. Not just with material blessings, not just with comfort and ease in this life, but so that He can do a work of renovation in our hearts and our lives through His Spirit. He offers us renewal. He breathes into us again His breath. And He restores all things. He gives new life. The Holy Spirit brings with Him also a new heart. The prophet Ezekiel talked about God taking out a heart of stone that was in us and replacing it with a heart of flesh. The prophet Jeremiah talked about a new covenant that God was making with His people. That He was going to write His law in our hearts and our minds. That He was going to give us a new sensitivity and a new awareness of God and His will. Pentecost, all throughout Uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy is connected and associated with the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. This idea of harvesting and reaping and bringing one's first fruits, the first provisions that God has provided for us to Him in an act of worship. It was connected to God's giving of His law, His Ten Commandments to His people. And it points our eyes toward The fact that God's Spirit gives us a new heart. That He comes to give us hearts that are sensitive to Him. And the hearts are not just the feelings. It's not just about having a new set of emotions or becoming a sensitive person. The heart is about one's control center. The center and core of our being being made new by His Spirit. He is able to clean us up at the very control and center of our lives. Pentecost bears a different name. If you're in the British Isles, and I imagine uh, uh, our dear friends, the, uh, um, the Stuarts, are celebrating today not just something called Pentecost, but they're celebrating something that sounds even perhaps weirder, Whit Sunday. 
which is kind of a forging together of the words white and Sunday. Because this is the day that the Holy Spirit came and white reminds us of his purity and the fact that he is able to clean us and wash us and make us pure on the inside so that he might clean us up and wash us and make us pure on the outside. Another image of the Holy Spirit is that he is comparable to water. Water that gives life. Water that cleans up and washes. He brings with him into our lives a new heart. And he brings with him into our lives a new mind. The New Testament speaks over and over again about the renewing of our minds, about how our minds ought to be given to God in worship. Paul promises us that the mind of Christ is able to take up residence in our lives so that we begin to share that mind. And it's not just thinking, it is a way of thinking. It is an attitude and a disposition toward life. It's about how we perceive reality and how we perceive others. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives is able to bring into us a love for others and a freedom from self. And we might wonder, well, Pastor, how does that connect to our minds? Because love is about value. It is about purpose. It is about what we want to see come about and being enriched. And we are so intent upon thinking of ourselves, thinking about what affects us best, what provides for us best, what makes us happy. Our minds are consumed with self. And our minds are neglectful of others. But the Holy Spirit is able to come and to bring into our new lives not just a new heart, but a new mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of loving, a surrender of self for the sake of others. Jesus told his disciples that they were going to be witnesses to him, that they were going to proclaim to the world what they saw. That they were going to testify of what their eyes had seen and their hands had felt. Of, of that the fact that Christ was the Messiah, the world's Redeemer, and that God raised Him from the dead. But He told them they were to wait. Because they were going to have to receive the Holy Spirit before they went out. But notice the direction toward which He tells them that they're going to go out. He tells them, you are going to be witnesses of Me in Jerusalem. That's easy. They're there. Not they're there, but they're there. Judea. Okay, that's our neck of the woods. That's, that's where our people are. That's where our friends are. But he then adds on Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, you know that Jews 
hated the Samaritans. And the feeling was mutual. Samaritans hated Jews. Their hatred for one another was so bad that if a Jew was going from Judea to Galilee, Samaria was right in the center and the Jew would cross over the Jordan River, go through the wilderness and cross back over the Jordan River to get into Galilee so that he didn't have to pass through the dirt of Samaria. You remember the Samaritan's woman's perplexity at the well when Jesus began talking to her. What in the world are you talking to me for? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Don't you kind of know how this relationship that's supposed to non-exist works? Scriptures call us as the people of God into the lives of others, others that otherwise we have little interest in and perhaps even have disdain for. He calls us into the lives of people whose lives are messed up, are filled with Priorities that aren't like ours, with interests that aren't like ours, with behaviors that aren't like ours, whose families aren't like ours, whose upbringing wasn't like ours. And we cannot and will not go to them with the life transforming message of the gospel without God getting a new mind into us. A new way of thinking. A new way of seeing ourselves and a new way of seeing others. Filling through the renewing of our minds, filling our lives with a love for others, a self-giving Love and breaking us of the hold that we have on ourselves and our rights and our wishes and our intentions. In fulfilling His promise to us to send His Spirit, God sends to us and brings into our lives through His Spirit also a new joy. That's right, a new joy. We often associate Pentecost with a time of seriousness, a time of you know, deep reflection. The Holy Spirit is coming and we've got to be sure to be serious. Holiness is serious business. I love that Peter begins his Pentecost sermon with a joke. These men aren't drunk like you think they are. It's the middle of the day after all. Pentecost is a serious time. 
the Holy Spirit's in our the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is serious business. His desire to transform us and clean us up and remake us in the image of Christ is indeed serious work. But he fills us with his joy. He fills us with a sense of lightheartedness. A sense of rejoicing. After all, it was after Pentecost that the disciples were enabled and empowered to sing hymns as they were persecuted. It was after Pentecost that they were able to endure imprisonment rather than cursing and denying that they even knew the man Jesus. Because God through His Spirit was able to get a new joy into their lives. A new sense of celebration. A new sense of excitement about what God is able to do in their lives. As He fulfills His promise to His people. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read C.S. Lewis's essay. You may think, my goodness, I'm not going to go read an essay. Trust me, it is a beautiful, beautiful essay. Read his essay, The Weight of Glory. You can find it online. You can find it in the book that bears the name, The Weight of Glory. You can find it in all sorts of places. But you ought to go home and Google The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis. He talks about this, this weight of glory that is, that is placed upon us in the lives of others because God has called us to invest in the lives of others. And that's a deep and holy and serious endeavor. But in the end, he tells us that we ought to be so deep and so, so serious and so intent upon that that we have a sense of, of levity and joy and lightheartedness about it. God has fulfilled His promises to His people. That ought to instill joy in us. When I make a promise to my kids and I finally get around to fulfilling that promise, they're typically excited about it. They're chomping at the bits. They're bouncing off the walls. And Pentecost has always reminded me kind of of that sort of behavior. Pentecost is kind of messy business. We, we read of fire, flames... They look like tongues falling down on the disciples. And they begin to speak. And as they're speaking their Galilean Aramaic, the crowds of people that are there in Jerusalem that have descended upon it from all parts of the Roman world, they're all hearing these 12 men speaking in their own languages. And they're scratching their heads saying, what in the world's going on? There's something up here. This doesn't make any sense. It's almost like chaos has fallen upon Jerusalem. It's excitement and joy. God has fulfilled His promises that His Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. That old men will dream dreams and young men will prophesy. 
that a new covenant has been forged between God and His people. The fulfillment of God's promise in our lives through His Spirit ought to bring a new joy. And lastly, that fulfilled promise. The promise of the Father, the Spirit come to take up residence in our lives, bring with, brings with Himself a new source, a new fire. A new passion. A new source of power and energy and authority. He said, you must wait in Jerusalem. Terry, for you will be endued with power. Not just to work miracles, not just to do crazy grand things, not to be a spectacle or to become a, 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 a focus of others' attention, but so that you might have a new source in your life. Because when we hear about holiness, and when we hear about God transforming us, and when we hear about how God wants to, wants to clean us up, we immediately start thinking about the things that we do to make that happen. All right. We start putting together a list of things we've got to buckle down on. And there are times in our lives where we desperately do need to buckle down on things. You know, things in our lives that we keep saying that, man, I really need to start doing that. I probably ought to start reading my Bible. Stop saying it and do it. You know, I probably ought to, ought to start treating people better. Start treating people better. But normally when we, when we think of God's work in our lives, we begin thinking about the things that we do to make that work happen. But the promise of Pentecost is that it's not about trying to keep some exterior list of things or accomplish some exterior list of things that will make us holy, but it instead is about God getting His holy presence into the core of our lives. So that he can, his holiness becomes the source of our holiness. So that his way of living becomes the source of our way of living. It's not about mustering up enough energy on our own. It's about God's energy consuming us. Pentecost and the fulfillment of God's promise to send His Spirit into our lives is a blatant reminder that we can't do it on our own. Nor were we intended to. God, through His Spirit, sends a new source of ability and authority and energy and power into our lives as He brings to us a new life. He brings a new heart. And with that, a new mind, a new way of thinking, and a new joy and a new source of living all of this out. And He is always faithful 
to fulfill his promises. Let's pray.